This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com forward slash free books to download this book as a PDF. Through New Eyes Developing a Biblical View of the World James B. Jordan Copyright 1988 Published by Wolgamoth and Hyatt Brentwood, Tennessee 5. Sun, Moon, and Stars When 20th century people step outside and look at the sky, they see a huge atomic furnace burning hydrogen during the day and a small planetoid reflecting the light of the sun at night. They also see other atomic furnaces that appear very small because they are so far away. When 20th century people step back inside their homes and pick up the latest coffee table book of astronomy, they see color-enhanced photographs of distant galaxies, the megalanic clouds, and binary stars. They see speculative drawings of quasars, neutron stars, and black holes. All these are wondrous things, and proper to study as part of God's universe. But if this is all we see, we are not getting the whole picture. If we look through new eyes, we shall see more. The Purpose of Heavenly Lights The Bible speaks more of the purpose of the heavenly lights than it does of their constitution. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, festival times, and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also, and God placed them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, and to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Genesis 1, verse 14 through 18. The first thing said about the astral bodies is that they are lights. We have seen that the lights is an aspect of God's glory cloud, and it is as a reflection of God's glory that these heavenly bodies are made as lights. They represent glory, and so the Bible can say of the glorified saints that the righteous will shine forth as a sun in the kingdom of their Father. Matthew 13, verse 43. Similarly, Solomon wrote, Who is this that grows like the dawn, as beautiful as a full moon, as pure as the sun? Song of Solomon 6, verse 10. Or as St. Paul wrote, There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 41. It is because the heavenly bodies show God's glory that we delight in looking at beautiful pictures of them in astronomy books. We live in a happy age to have access to photographs of such wonders as the Ring Nebula, the Crab Nebula, and the Great Spiral Nebula in Andromeda. As lights, the astral bodies are glorious. But, second, they were given for signs or symbols. As we have seen, all created things point back to God, but all things symbolize particular things, and in this case, the astral bodies symbolize rulers and governors. The lights are positioned in the firmament, called heaven. Heaven rules the earth. Thus, those things positioned in the firmament symbolize rulers of the earth, as we shall see shortly. Third, they are said to be for seasons, or, more literally, for festival times. This applied to the Old Covenant, which was regulated by these creational clocks. It was particularly the moon, regulator of the months, that governed the Israelite calendar. The moon established which day was the first of the month, and which was the fifteenth. 
Such festivals as Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles were set on particular days of the month. Leviticus 23, verse 5 through 6, 34. Numbers 28, verse 11 through 14. 2 Chronicles 8, verse 13. Psalm 81, verse 3. The moon, of course, governs the night. Psalm 136, verse 9. Jeremiah 31, verse 35. And in a sense, the entire Old Covenant took place at night. With the rising of the Son of Righteousness, Malachi 4, verse 2, the day of the Lord is at hand, Malachi 4, verse 1, and in a sense, the New Covenant takes place in the daytime. As Genesis 1 says over and over, first evening and then morning. In the New Covenant, we are no longer under lunar regulation for festival times, Colossians 2, verse 16 through 17. In that regard, Christ is our light. If we compare Genesis 1, verse 14 and 16, we see employed the literary device known as chiasm. A chiasm is a literary device in which parallel ideas or terms are presented in a sandwich form instead of a normal parallelism, that is, A, B, C, D, D, C, B, A, instead of A, A, B, B, C, C, D, D. The use of chiasm, which helps bring out the particular symbolic associations of sun, moon, and stars. A, 14. Let them be for signs, B, 14, and for festival times, C, 14, and for days and years, C, 16, the greater light to govern the day, B, 16, and the lesser light to govern the night, A, 16, the stars also. The stars, A, are primarily associated with astral symbolism. The moon, B, is associated with the appointed festivals which began in the evening and were removed in the New Covenant. The sun, C, is associated with days and years. Fourth, they are said to be clocks for days and years. Long before mechanical clocks and watches were invented, people told time by the position of the sun, the occurrence of solar equinoxes and solstices, and the precision of the equinoxes. Particularly mentioned are days and years, which are regulated not by the moon, but by the sun. Fifth, they are said to rule over day and night to govern time. Here again the emphasis is on rule. The astral bodies signify those who are glorified and exalted. While this is true of all the saints, it is also true of all human rulers as well. Revelation 1 verse 20 says that the rulers of the church are like stars, and Jude 13 says that apostate teachers are wandering stars. Long before this, in Genesis 37 verse 9 through 10, Joseph had seen the rulers of his clan as sun, moon, and stars. We see this even today. The flag of the United States of America has 50 stars for the 50 states of our nation. The flags of Oriental nations include the rising sun. The flags of Near Eastern countries feature crescent moon. Sun, moon, and stars are symbols of world powers. 6. They are associated with the heavenly hosts, the angelic and human array around the throne of God. This also follows from the fact that they are positioned in heaven. They represent the angelic hosts in Judges 5, verse 20, Job 38, verse 7, and Isaiah 14, verse 13. They represent the human hosts of the Lord as well, as we see from the promise to Abraham in Genesis 15, verse 5, reiterated in Genesis 22, verse 17, 26, verse 4, and Deuteronomy 1, verse 10. Christians appear as stars in the world in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. 
Philippians 2 verse 15. The fact that Abraham's descendants were to be like stars implies that they would not only be positioned in the heavenlies, Ephesians 2 verse 6, but also that they would be rulers over the Gentiles. Now it is neither possible nor desirable to separate these aspects of astral symbolism. The sun, moon, and stars mark time as clocks. Since they mark time, they govern time. Positioned in the heavenlies, they signify governments ruling day and night. Since they mark time, they can be seen to signify the duration of earthly governments, so that as we shall see the fall of sun, moon, and stars as a symbol for the fall of earthly governments. Let us now look at these things in more detail. The sun. The sun, ruler of the sky and of the day, is used to symbolize the Lord in Psalm 84 verse 11. The Lord God is a sun and shield. Similarly, a familiar passage in Isaiah says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. And nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. 60, verse 1 through 3. God is like the sun, and when he comes, he glorifies his people, so that they also shine. So Deborah could pray, let those who love him, God, be like the rising of the sun in its might. Judges 5, verse 31. A prayer answered a few years later in Gideon, and then again in Samson, whose name means sun. Psalm 19 reflects on this. The sun is like a bridegroom, like a strong man. The reference here, first of all, is to Samson, the bridegroom of Judges 14 through 15. But beyond this, we see the messianic judge of all the earth, who is to come and bring his word. Verses 7 through 11. When John saw that, one, his face was like the sun, shining in its strength. Revelations 1, verse 16. Night gives way to day, and this is an image of the coming of the kingdom. If Nicodemus met with Jesus by night, this was in part a reflection of the condition of history at that point. For the whole old covenant is seen as a nighttime. Malachi 4, verse 1 says that a day is coming, and goes on in verse 2 to predict that the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. In this way, moon and sun are governors of time, of the old covenant and new covenant. But they also symbolize the first and last atoms, who are the real governors of these two eras. Finally, we should note that in the Bible, the sun can also symbolize counterfeit gods, those who falsely pretend to be the true sun of righteousness. The pharaoh of Egypt claimed to be an incarnation of the sun, and thus it was appropriate that in the judgment of Egypt, God put out the sun for three days. Exodus 10, verse 21-23 The Stars The prophets often see the sun, moon, and stars falling to the earth. One of the most frequently encountered mistakes in Bible prophecy today is the notion that this always refers to the end of the world at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Actually, though, this expression usually refers to the collapse of some particular nation, Suppose we wrote a prophetic poem about the destruction of the United States and included in the poem these lines. The sun was darkened, the moon eclipsed, the stars fell, they fell to the ground. Fifty in ranks trampled underfoot, her rulers in prison, caged in darkness. Let's analyze this section of our poem. It has an ABBA structure, which, as we saw above, is a chiasm. The first line about the darkening of the sun and moon is explained by the last line about the imprisonment of our rulers. 
The second and third lines clearly refer to the defeat of the 50 states. This would be fairly obvious to us, would it not? Anyone who has had a high school class in literature could probably figure it out. With this in mind, let us begin a survey of the biblical passages that use sun, moon, and stars as symbols of rulers and times. Abraham's Stars In Genesis 15, when God cut the covenant with Abraham, he took him outside and told him to tell the stars. In Genesis 15, when God cut the covenant with Abraham, he took him outside and told him to tell the stars if you are able to tell them, thus shall your seed be. Verse 5. Bible exegetes differ on exactly what Abraham was being asked to do. Generally, it is assumed that he was being asked to count up the number of the stars, and that his descendants would be like the stars of the heavens for multitude, even as they would be like the sand of the sea. Some have pointed out, however, that the Hebrew verb translated count can also be translated tell, in the sense of evaluating, Hebrew, tefar, as in Psalm 56, verse 8. This is not clearly the case, however, since the verb often just means count up. All the same, two alternative interpretations have been suggested. The first is that of M. Barnouin. Barnouin points out that the patriarchs in Genesis 5 and 11 lived lives of curious numerical lengths. Enoch, for instance, lived 365 years, the length of a solar year. Canaan lived 910 years, 10 times the standard quarter year of 91 days. Lamech lived 770 years, which is the sum of the synodical periods of Jupiter, 399 days. And Saturn, 378 days, Genesis 5, Genesis 5, 23, 14, and 31. Is it possible that God was saying to Abraham that a seed would be like the patriarchs of old, the faithful godly men who were blessed and preserved before the flood, and the years after the flood? Barnouin suggests that when Abraham looked at the stars, he was considering the planets and how they govern time. Genesis 1, verse 14. And make it an evaluation based on this. The years of the patriarchs correspond to the time-governing periods of the planets and other heavenly bodies. Abraham's seed would be like this. They would be a heavenly people, gathered around God's heavenly throne. Their history would mark time. Barnouin sees this fulfilled in the census of the book of Numbers, in which these same astral periods recur. In Numbers 1, all the men, 20 and older, were enrolled in the Israelite militia, God's army. As God's army, Israel was in one sense a heavenly host, captained by the Lord of heaven. In this respect, they are spoken of as stars in Deuteronomy 1 verse 10, and as a heavenly host that they are commanded by an angel, the angel of the Lord. Joshua 5 verse 13 through 6 verse 2, Exodus 23 verses 20 through 21. Thus it would not be surprising if the numbering of that heavenly host had some association with astral numbers. At any rate, Barnouin's thesis is a complex one, but certainly also a challenging one. The second alternative view of Genesis 15 verse 5 relates to the constellations of the zodiac, and we shall defer consideration of it until after we examine Genesis 37 verse 5 through 10. To conclude our look at Abraham, let me point out that when God made the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, he did so by burying the sun and making it very dark. Genesis 15 verse 17. This implies that if the seed is to be like the stars of heaven and the dust of earth, it will have to be a new heavens and a new earth. Joseph's stars. When Joseph saw twelve stars bowing down before him, 
Could this have been the constellations of the Zodiac and not individual stars? In this section, we want to focus on the possibility. Please note that the 12 signs of the Zodiac may have been designed by God as 12 portraits of humanity. This is not a new idea. Synagogues dug up in Israel have been found to have tiled mosaics showing the 12 signs of the Zodiac, and Josephus relates this to the 12 tribes. Before looking at this, however, let us get before us what the Bible says about the constellations. The constellations are referred to several times in Scripture, without any implied criticism, simply as if they were part of the created order of things. An example is Job 38, verse 31 through 33, where God says to Job, Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades, or loose the cords of Orion? Can you leave forth the constellation, or the zodiac, in its season, and guide the bear with her sons? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens, or fix their rule over the earth? This is an interesting passage, for it speaks of the chains and the cords of the astral signs. After all, Everyone who has ever learned the constellations knows that they don't in the least resemble what they are supposed to look like. It takes a lot of imagination to tie together the stars and these symbols. Who then devised them in the first place? Who set up the chains and cords that bind them together? If they were set up by the heathen Babylonian priests, why does God refer to them as if they were his creations? Job 9, speaking of God's greatness, says that, he makes the bear Orion and the Pleiades and the chambers of the south. It certainly seems that this verse says that God himself designed the constellations. Amos 5 verse 8 says the same thing. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, the Lord is his name. It might be argued that God made the unnamed stars and men designed the constellations, but I find that to be a strange interpretation. It seems to me that Job and Amos would in that case just have said that God made the stars and left it at that. To say God made the constellations certainly implies that he designed them. Another avenue of evidence points in the same direction. Psalm 147 verse 4 says that God counts the number of stars. He gives names to all of them. Similarly, Isaiah 40 verse 26 encourages us to lift up our eyes and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name. Does the Bible tell us any of these names? It would seem so, as we have seen Bear, Orion, Pleiades, etc. Maybe, of course, the constellations are not what Psalm 147 verse 4 and Isaiah 40 verse 26 are talking about. Maybe these verses are just talking about individual stars, in which case we simply don't know any of their names. Maybe. But again, this is not the simplest and most obvious interpretation. Comparing scripture with scripture, it seems that God named the constellations. Some passages allude to the misuse of the constellations by idolaters. 2 Kings 23 verse 5 refers to apostate Israelites who burned incense to Baal, the sun and the moon, and the constellations. Similarly, Isaiah 13 verse 10, speaking of the destruction of Babylon, says that, the stars of the heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. It is likely that the constellations are included in this judgment because of their misuse in Babylonian astrology. With this in mind, let me lay out a series of propositions. First, it appears that God designed the major constellations, both those of the zodiac and the circumpolar ones, bear and serpent, Job 26 verse 13. It seems that this is part of what Genesis 1 verse 14 means, when it says God made the stars as signs. Second, 
Clearly, the Bible is opposed to the abuse of the constellations for idolatrous or astrological purposes, to tell fortunes and the like. Deuteronomy 18, verse 9 through 13, Isaiah 8, verse 19 through 20, 44, verse 24 through 25, 47, verse 8 through 15. Third, I know of no evidence to support the notion that the procession of the equinoxes and the 2,000 year long periods of time that they introduce, age of Pisces, age of Aquarius, are used by any biblical passage to structure either their history or prophecy. As a way of marking time, the procession of the equinoxes is part of God's universal clock system, but it seems to have no special symbolic significance. Fourth, I find no biblical evidence to support the popular notion that the twelve signs of the zodiac are a map of Bible history and prophecy, beginning with Virgo and ending with Leo. This has been the most common evangelical fundamentalist use of the zodiac in popular literature. Abraham's analysis of the stars is explained this way. Abraham looked at the cycle of the constellations and received a picture of the prophetic history and of the coming Redeemer. I can find, however, no foundation for this approach to the zodiac in Scripture. Fifth, it is a fact, however, that the four faces of the cherubim in Ezekiel and Revelation correspond to the four central constellations in the zodiac and to the four tribes of Israel that were positioned north, south, east, and west of the tabernacle and the wilderness. Numbers 2, verse 1 through 34. The lion is Leo, Judah, Genesis 49, verse 9. The bull is Taurus, Ephraim, Deuteronomy 33, verse 17. The man is Aquarius, Reuben, unstable as water. Genesis 49, verse 4. The eagle is Scorpio, Dan. This last identification is more difficult until we understand two things. First, Scorpio was also drawn as an eagle in the ancient world, according to R. H. Allen. Second, the scorpion is linked with the serpent, and Dan is a serpent. Genesis 49, verse 17. Luke 10, verse 17 through 19. With this paradigm in mind, it is possible to draw a diagram of the twelve tribes in the wilderness and link the other tribes with the other zodiacal signs by going to the right and left of each of the four major cherubic signs. A correlation of these signs with the prophecies of Jacob and Moses in Genesis 49 and Deuteronomy 33 would prove most interesting, but we have no time for it here. In conclusion, when Joseph saw the sun, moon, and eleven stars bowing down to him, Genesis 37, 5, Genesis 37, verse 5 through 10. What do you suppose the stars were? It seems most likely that they were the 12 signs of the zodiac. It would be interesting to take the 12 tribes of Israel and the preeminent symbols associated with each by Jacob and Moses and study them as humanity in 12 dimensions, both as revelations of sinful Adam and as adumbrations of Christ. Such a study might shed light on the relationship between the 12 tribes and the zodiac. Prophetic Stars let us now briefly survey the passages where sun, moon, and stars are used in the prophetic symbolic sense. A failure to understand the symbolic nature of these passages has led a few popular writers to assume that such expressions as the sun turned to sackcloth and the moon to blood can only be understood as referring to the collapse of the physical cosmos. Nobody takes these verses literally, after all. The question is, to what kind of event does this symbolic language refer? For modern men, it seems that it can only be speaking of the end of the natural world. For ancient men, it was indeed the end of the world that such language indicated, but not the world in our modern scientific sense. Rather, it was the end of the world in socio-political sense. 
For instance, Isaiah 13, verse 9 through 10, says that the day of the Lord is coming, and when it comes, the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. It goes on to say in verse 13, I shall make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. Well, this certainly does sound like the end of the world, but if we read these verses in context, we have to change our initial impression. Verse 1 says, The oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw. And if we read on, we find nothing to indicate any change in subject. It is the end of Babylon, not the end of the world, that is spoken of. In fact, in verse 17, God says he will stir up the Medes against them, so that the entire chapter is clearly concerned only with Babylon's destruction. If we read biblically, this won't seem so strange. What verse 10 is saying is that Babylon's lights are going to go out. Their clocks are going to stop. Their day is over, and it is the day of doom for them. And since these astral bodies symbolize governors and rulers, their rulers are going to have their lights put out as well. The heavens and earth in verse 13 refer to the socio-political organization of Babylon. The heavens are the aristocracy, roughly speaking, and the earth are the commoners. We find the same kind of thing in Ezekiel 32. In verses 7 through 8 of that chapter, God declares, And when I extinguish you, I will cover the heavens and darken their stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give its light. All the shining lights in the heavens, and I will darken over you, and will set darkness on your land. The end of the world? Yes, indeed, but not for everybody. What ancient people might God be speaking of in using this language? The idea in the Babylon oracle was that the astral bodies would not shine forth any light. Here, the idea is that they will be covered. God's glory cloud will interpose itself between the nation and the heavenly lights. While God's glory cloud shines brightly for his people Israel, it is dark and foreboding to his enemies, with the result that they are in darkness when he appears to them. These people experienced this once before. Their whole land was darkened, and they were pursued. And when they pursued the Israelites, God's cloud came between them and Israel and put them in darkness. Ezekiel 32, verse 2, Exodus 10, verse 21 through 23, 14, verse 19 through 20. Similar language is used prophetically concerning Israel, but with a twist. It is in the prophecy of Joel that we find this most clearly set out. Joel begins by reminding Israel of a recent plague of locusts. In his first chapter, he describes the horrors of the locust invasion. Then, in chapter 2, he threatens the people with another locust plague, this time an invasion by human locusts. Such an invasion will be a manifestation of the day of the Lord, that is, the day of judgment. 2 verse 1 The expression, day of the Lord, refers to the rising of the sun, the sun of God's searching light that shows up sin and brings judgment, the sun of God's blazing heat that destroys sin. Yet for Israel, this day will be a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. 2 verse 2 The metaphor is mixed, but apropos. When God brings his day and evaluates their sin, he will cast them into darkness. Accordingly, when God's locust army comes to judge Israel, before them the earth quakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. 2 verse 10 This is a reference to the collapse of Israel as a body politic. After all, Abraham had been told that his seed would be like the stars of the heavens. It is possible that the quaking of the earth refers to the Israelite citizenry, the trembling of the heavens to the Levites and priests, 
since the temple was a symbol of heaven, and the darkening of the astral bodies to the royal court and other rulers in Israel. If the people repent, however, God will return to them and restore them. 2 verse 12 God promises them a great future. He promises them the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it will come about after this that I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, fulfilling Numbers 11 verse 17. Your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, and even on the male and female servants I will pour out my Spirit in those days. Joel 2 verse 28 through 29. We know from Acts 2 verse 16 through 18 that this was fulfilled at Pentecost, and I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth. 2 verse 30. This is connected with Pentecost, and was, therefore, a warning to the Jews of Peter's day. Wonders in the sky and on the earth is what is foretold. In reverse order, chiasm, first we read of the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. These were the phenomena of war. There will be war. There will yet be another invasion. This was fulfilled when the Romans invaded Palestine and destroyed Jerusalem, A.D. 66-70. through Wonders in the sky are also foretold. The sun will be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. 2 verse 31 What is of interest here is the expression, moon into blood. In a solar eclipse, the sun turns black, and in a lunar eclipse, the moon turns red. Thus, not merely a general darkening, but an eclipse of powers is spoken of here. But more than that, the turning of the moon to blood points, I believe, to something particularly Jewish, the sacrificial system. If they will not accept the blood of Jesus Christ, the final sacrifice, then they themselves will be turned into blood. They will become the sacrifices. That is what the prophesied war is all about. That is what the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 was all about. But Joel is issuing a warning. Those who listen can escape. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For, just as Obadiah has already told you, on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape, Obadiah 17. As the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls, 2 verse 32. Just as Isaac escaped death on Mount Moriah because of the substitute ram that God provided, Genesis 22 verse 13, so those who trust in the Lamb of God will escape the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Such is Joel's warning, reiterated by Peter on the day of Pentecost. It is also reiterated by John, prophesying of the same event, the destruction of Jerusalem. John writes, And I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth, as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. Revelation 6, verse 12-13 The fig tree is a standard symbol for Israel, especially in this context. Matthew 21, verse 19, 24, verse 32 through 34, Luke 21, verse 29 through 32. Both sackcloth and blood remind us of the Levitical system, the blood for sacrifices and the sackcloth for the mourning associated with leprosy and uncleanness. In this way, the astral symbols are given peculiar coloring depending on the context. The Babylonians worship the stars, and so they are extinguished. The Egyptians worship the sun, so God darkens it. The Jews continue to maintain the sacrifices, so the moon is turned to blood. To round out this discussion, we need only look at two more passages briefly. After promising the coming of the Spirit and the judgment upon apostate Israel in Joel 2, 
God goes on to say in chapter 3 that he will shake down all the nations of the world and bring them to their knees. Speaking of the nations, he says that the sun and the moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. Joel 3 verse 15. Speaking of the same event, our Lord said that immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Matthew 24 verse 29, Mark 13 verse 24 through 25, Luke 21 verse 25. This is not a reference to the destruction of Jerusalem, but it comes immediately after that event. It is rather a reference to the shaking of the nations. Haggai 2 verse 6 through 7, Hebrews 12, verse 26. We notice that the language of blood is absent. It is simple extinction of these lights that is prophesied. Failure to take careful note of context has misled some expositors into thinking that Matthew 24, verse 29, is speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem. But as we have seen, it cannot be. This is particularly clear in the parallel account in Luke 21, where we read that the Jews will fall by the edge of the sword, and will be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, and upon the earth dismay among nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear, and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the inhabited earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken." Luke 21, verse 24 through 26. In conclusion, the symbolism of universal collapse, the extinction of sun, moon, and stars, has reference to the fall of nations and empires. In the Old Testament, it was used for Babylon, for Egypt, for Israel, and for nations in general. In the New Testament, it was used for Israel, and also for nations in general. At the destruction of Jerusalem, the Jewish sun went into black eclipse, Morning in sackcloth, and the Jewish moon went into red eclipse, the blood red of sacrifice. Immediately after the destruction of Jerusalem, God began shaking down the nations, darkening their suns and moons, and replacing them with the light of the Son of Righteousness, whose rising brings healing in his wings. Malachi 4, verse 2. Conclusion God's skies are friendly skies. He made the sun, moon, and stars. If some people have perverted these into false religions, such as astrology, this need not cause Christians any alarm. When we view the skies through new eyes, we are free to learn the constellations as biblical symbols and become at home in the night sky. I wish to stress one point that has emerged from our survey of astral symbolism. We have seen that the expressions stars of the heavens and powers of the heavens often refer to human government. This means that the expression heaven and earth can sometimes refer to the body politic. The expression new heavens and new earth, while it can refer to a transfigured cosmos, can also refer to a new order on the earth, new rulers and new people. We shall come back to this in the latter part of this book, when we examine the succession of worlds in the Bible. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, 
where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.